I'm allowed to stop. I'm allowed to sit and have a cup of tea. I'm allowed to just breathe. And easy is allowed. Because I went through a phase where all my friends were just grafting hard, working really hard. And I still have a bit of that going on. And, you know, people are suffering from rushing syndrome. There's a lot of rushing mm -hmm. and busy syndrome. Well, that's been around for a long time, but also mm -hmm. this kind of rushing, rushing, rushing. I have to speed up. Let me speed up and leave you a message. Speed up and eat my lunch. Speed up and walk the dog. Speed up and, you know, and it's all so fast. And if you could just allow ourselves to, to stop and slow down a bit, just less. Keep it simple. Less. Less of it. Welcome back to the Nurse Star podcast. I have Dr. Narina on the show today. And oh my goodness, I think you guys are going to love her. She is one of my favorite guests for sure. She is such a captivating storyteller, so intelligent, has gained just so much knowledge throughout her extraordinarily interesting life, which you'll hear all about, which I feel is really what makes this episode so powerful. Anytime someone comes on here is open. I mean, I feel most of my guests are rather open, but when someone's really open, they're ready to go there, they're vulnerable. And, you know, if you happen to be a professional speaker like Dr. Narina is, then it's kind of easy making for a stellar show. So Dr. Narina is on top of being a speaker. She's a physiologist, a sleep and energy expert. And so we get into sleep, but we talk about it from different angles than I've talked about in the past on the show. So we talk about the spiritual angles. We talk about the mental, emotional angles. And so basically meaning like why we may not be sleeping beyond, you know, is our room at the right temperature? And those things matter so much too. And Dr. Narina does talk about that. She talks about her five non-negotiables, some of which you might've heard before and some of which you probably haven't. I mean, I hadn't, at least some of them for sure. But overall, what really just makes her such a gift of a guest is that energy that she brings to this show of absolute acceptance with respect to where she's been and that beauty that is basically her soul in my opinion is just really emanates throughout the show and it's inspiring I absolutely believe that she is somebody who lives in great connection with her north star and she's really taken her past and has let it build this gorgeous career this purpose is why that she has now on this planet and I think you guys are really going to enjoy listening to her in addition to things like sleep and energy, we talk about finding inner safety. We talk about allowing ease into your life, which is, as you guys probably know, a passion of mine. I've been doing one-on-one -on -one ease coaching sessions. By the way, if you're interested in that, let me know. Those have been so beautiful, just fully diving into how to create more ease in your business or your life. Oh. Like my heart just sings having this session. So if you're interested in that, let me know. But anyway, we also talk about letting go of the need to control, listening into the self, why it's so difficult sometimes to pause and to slow down and little tips like putting rest into your diary, diary as the Brits say, as us North Americans say, into the schedule, into the calendar. It's a little bit less sexy. I, I do like diary. I think I'll take that from the Brits moving forward. Um, all right, guys. Anyway, I feel like I'm about to get into a goofy mood. So I'm going to leave you here. Enjoy this episode and let us know what you think. I am um, Dr. Naveena Ramlakhan. I'm called a sleep expert, um, but I 
also I, I'm an expert around stress and energy and um, resilience and finding balance. But I actually think that what I do is, is quite simple. I, my aim is to help people to live more balanced and fulfilling lives by returning them to a natural state of joy and helping them to find more joy and peace in life. So whether that's by, by helping them to have better energy or sleep better, it's it's all the same thing, really. Just can we live better lives, more balanced? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and your second question, you've got another question, haven't you, about how, what was I like as a child? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I, I was definitely, and still am, um, quite an introvert, um, although I, I'm introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert, whichever mm-hmm. way. Um, so I can be very sociable and I can go out and dance and have fun with my friends, or I can stand on stages and talk to thousands of people or go on TV and radio. But I also very much need my space and my peace. Um, as a child, I was very shy. I was very lacking in confidence. I was very, un- I, I guess, looking back on it, pretty unhappy, mm-hmm. unless I was climbing trees. And running around oh. with the dogs oh. those were the things that made me really happy with the animals but otherwise I it, it was pretty tough growing up and I wasn't yeah I was very much in myself I would say mm-hmm. yeah that was like your your solace that was where you found comfort inside your inner landscape I don't know if it was solid as so much lacking in confidence to engage with people um, okay. I think I was quite tr- troubled as a child and um mm-hmm. I'm very honest about the fact that a lot of my all of my work comes from my not just academic or professional but my personal experiences with trauma mm-hmm. and insomnia so uh, as a baby I couldn't sleep well and that continued until my early 30s and there were mental health issues there were challenges there were health issues which all kind of came to a head in the, when I in in my early 30s until I had some kind of breakthrough experience, epiphany, uh, awakening, call it what you will. And um, I kind of saw a different way of being, felt a different way of being and realized that I could do life differently by making different choices, um, healing. So I I, I embarked on a healing journey and I guess that's where my work really comes from is it, it, it's informed by my personal journey at its core. But of course, it comes from my academic research um, and the things I've studied and my professional experience as well of having worked with so many people mm-hmm. over the years, probably yeah. thousands. Yeah. yeah, I bet. And what what was it for you that, because I, I do remember reading that, yeah, you, you sort of had a, a crashing moment, if you will, at 31 and... Um, was it just one yeah. per se, or was it a compilation of many things and then a straw that broke the camel's back sort of situation? Yeah, I um, I was aware when I was very little of being a bit different, feeling different, feeling very alone, feeling the only person I felt safe with really was my sister. I always wanted to be with her and I was a pain in the neck. She was a few years older than me and didn't necessarily want me following her around everywhere. Um, but I, it was when I got into the turbulent teens that everything really, and obviously all those changing hormones, turbulent hormones that, and the pressures of, of exams and things like that, that it all came to a head. And I attempted suicide when I was 17 and ended up in hospital, uh, having my stomach pumped. Um, I really meant to do it. 
but um, didn't unfortunately didn't manage to do it. But mm -hmm. that was at the age of 17. And that then continued for the next uh, 15, uh, 14 or 15 years. So there were three suicide attempts. There was anorexia, there was bulimia, um, there were addictions, um, not drug and alcohol, but other addictive behaviors mm -hmm. uh, and very destructive behaviors and impulsive behaviors while at the same time doing really well academically mm. and getting a degree and a PhD and succeeding professionally while there was a part of me that was just kind of dying and wanting to die. And then it came to a head when I was 31 and ended up being um, hospitalized. But it was when I was 34 that there was, I started listening to an inner voice that was saying, you know, you just need to, you need to do life differently. You need to come off your, well, I did it dramatically. And I wouldn't advise people to necessarily do what I did, but I came off mood stabilizing medication, walked out of therapy, walked out of a marriage, which was incredibly supportive, but it wasn't a marriage. It was, you know, like being married to a parent who was just mm -hmm. looking after me, a caregiver, mm -hmm. and um, left my job, very good job, and went off to Australia and kind of free fall and went cold turkey. And that's when I had the breakthrough. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And, and, and so that was that was the turning point. Yeah, it was the turning point. You know? Sounds like it. You were extremely courageous. Was it did it feel like that? Like how were you feeling at that point? Did you feel like it was either that or you you had to do that? Or like what gave you the the gumption almost to go ahead and, and do that? I think my personality is tends to be a little bit you know leap before you look mm -hmm. but and it might look like that but often there's and maybe this you know being an introvert as well this helps but there's often a lot going on at a subconscious unconscious level which hasn't quite made its way to my conscious mind and there's something guiding me and there definitely was then there was something guiding me and an unease an agitation and an unrest which was saying I just don't want to do life like this anymore I don't want to do life like this anymore I deserve more um, the husband who I was with at the time, he deserves more. I need something to be different. I feel incredibly dissatisfied. So it was all of that. And, and maybe it was also that the therapy was having an impact. I was doing, I was in a psychotherapy. I was having two psychotherapy sessions a week, intense therapy. Wow. While at the same time studying at um, London's Guy's Hospital for an MSc in psychiatry and psychology. And which I never completed, but I believe that doing this on a, uh, you know, in, in my professional life, studying while working professionally, studying psychology and psychiatry, I was joining dots. Mm -hmm. And there was a part of me that was starting to work out that you can't do life like this anymore. And so this drove my it drove me to do so, look to do something differently, and I did it drastically. But to all intents and purposes, it, it looked like I'd made a sudden decision to do this. But I don't think I don't think I did really. I, I think there was a lot going on under the surface. Yeah. Looking back on it, yeah, yeah, I relate yeah. to that. I I'm, I operate fairly similarly with the um, quote unquote taking big leaps or whatsoever. But you're right. I think when people do move in that way. There usually is a buildup and sometimes it's conscious and sometimes it's not. And yes. yeah. And then you, you go over. Wow. So how did you, because I do love, like, I do love the way you speak about yourself and you're, you are so honest as, as clearly you're sharing now. And 
when you say that, you know, you still have challenges, you're not perfect now, but you built up this like resilience and this strength within your core. Where, like, where did you begin to, to go with that? Were you looking at the physiology? Were you looking at your psychology? Like what part, where did you begin with your healing journey? Mm. Well, I suppose it started from the moment I went into hospital, into the psychiatric mm. clinic, really. And, mm-hmm. um, and I remember somebody saying to me, one of the therapists in a group session, how do you feel? And I remember falling apart because I don't think anyone ever asked me that before. And then I realized that what I'd been feeling for, for decades had been fear. And I thought it was excitement, but it was intense fear. Um, and uh, so that's, I guess, where the journey started. Then the awakening four years later, when I went out to Australia, um, I I had this romantic idea that I would go out there and I would be backpacking and traveling around and having so much fun, but realized that I was terrified to go anywhere on my own. I wasn't really a traveler. And a lot of this was to do with my relationship with trauma. So I, I just didn't feel safe enough to do stuff on my own. And the husband who I'd been married to before that, when we did travel, he made he did everything for me. You know, he took care of me. So I had no confidence. So so basically when I went out there, all I could do was get out of bed in the mornings, walk down to the bookshop, Mary Ryan's bookshop. I bought a journal and I started writing. And I also started taking books off the shelves and reading them. So and there were books like um Louise Hay's book, um, a lot of the Hay House books, Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life, Neil Donald Walsh, Conversations Mm -hmm. with God. Uh, the Celestine Prophecy, Caroline oh. Miss, Anatomy of the Spirit. So I started reading all these books while journaling myself, while imploding. And, and I actually did phone my ex-husband and said, please, can, can you forgive me? Can you come and get me and bring me back and I'll come home and we'll be married as usual wow. and everything will be, and I'll go back to therapy and I won't be like this. And he said, no, it's done. We can't. I can't do this anymore. So I had no choice then. You know, I'd kind of uh, burnt my last boat, if you like. Yeah. So I had no choice but to keep journaling, put your head down and write. And in the process, I kind of surrendered. So this was a lesson in surrender while reading the stories of people, all of these pe- amazing people who'd had their own healing journeys, these wounded healers, you know, um, the Louise Hay and Neil Donald Walsh and all these these beautiful, amazing healers and writers reading their stories and noticing that there's a pattern here. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and so I started healing, really consciously healing. So I came back to England after a few months and feeling quite excited, thinking then, oh, I'm enlightened now. I'm mm-hmm. fully enlightened, not realizing actually that was the start of a very difficult journey, you know, back mm-hmm. in 1999. That was only the beginning, almost 25 years ago. Started doing yoga. So I was going to a Shivananda Yoga Center, doing Hatha Yoga, a very prescriptive form of yoga with with, with Hinduism at the, the, you know, the core of it, um, which played into, I was brought up as a Hindu in my, mm. in my family, yeah. you know. So went back to that. But then from that, I started kind of following breadcrumbs mm. and noticing that the healing journey would go, okay, you've had enough of the Shivananda Yoga, so you've had enough of yoga go and discover something else go and discover something else you know so in the journey ended up in in doing reiki having reiki ended up running marathons ended up climbing ended up doing triathlon ended up in a psychedelic journey ended up doing loads of different types of things 
And I would include all of them as healing, <laughs> including the marathon running up to a point because I then got to a point where I realized actually the marathons are actually, it's another form of addiction. Oh. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at first the running was amazing and I'd stopped smoking and all oh. of this sort of thing and started running and it was amazingly healing. But then that I tipped that tipped into addiction, and before I knew it, I was doing seven. I'd done seven marathons and scores of triathlons, including an Ironman, and it was all becoming very addictive. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I, you know, life just started giving me more and more opportunities to heal, including my sister dying very traumatically in two thousand and two, oh, which um, basically, thank you, yeah, that was really hard. But by then I had a number of tools on my tool belt. Mm -hmm. And then my daughter was born um, on the anniversary of her death two years later. Oh. Oh. And motherhood opening up its own can of worms as well as being a glorious experience. But I found it incredibly hard, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And I think you're, one of your previous guests who was a sleep expert talked about uh, being a parent and mm -hmm. how hard that was as an introvert. And, but, you know, I, it, it, I found it very, very hard. And yeah. um, I was an older mother, so I was going through lots of hormonal changes. Professionally, I was taking off even more. I'd written my first book, oh. but what, which I ended up on TV and radio. So there was lots of things happening, getting used to being a mother, my physiology changing mm -hmm. um, and growing professionally and becoming more successful because then you know, I'd set, set up my own practice. When I got back from Australia, in fact, I decided to do another leap, which was, mm. I'm going to leave this company and the stability wow. and set up my own practice. And it's, it seemed to be the right thing to do because I kept getting opportunities, oh. um, including being headhunted to work at the same clinic where I'd once been a patient, at the same psychiatric clinic. Oh, how interesting. I ended up there years later, working for a decade, rehabilitating patients. Couldn't make it up. Wow. <laughs> it's really magical. Truly, what is yeah. what a story that you that you have. And looking back on all those different modalities, is there anything that sticks out to you? Or is it really just as you said, like everything just felt so healing in its own way? Or were there specific things that were more mm -hmm. profound for you in your path? Um, you know, I continue to explore things. I mean, at the moment I'm I'm doing a lot of work with um, sound and sound healing, not necessarily chanting, but a specific type of sound healing. Um, I've just come through doing a retreat with the Gene Keys. I don't oh, know if wow. you've come across the Gene Keys and Richard Rudd's work, and I've just done Venus Retreat. I'm, I'm a seeker. I'm curious, but I'm also somewhat childishly, I would say, or childish or childlike, I don't know, both. <laughs> a tendency to look outside of myself for solutions. Hmm. And I'm constantly being shown and I'm constantly learning to look within. Yeah. And um, I think, um, and that's why I wrote the, the, the fourth book, Finding Inner Safety, you know, which is, it's, it's my story in there, but it's the story for a lot of people, which is like we're constantly looking after, looking outside of ourselves for answers. And up to a point, I definitely needed to find out answers outside of myself because I lacked the tools and the skills and the courage and the safety to look within. In Within was a big mess. It was too scary to go in there. So I needed the psychotherapy. You probably even needed the medication. I needed to be sectioned. I needed all of that. 
And then I just, my first, I guess, experience of really going within on my own was journaling. And that's when I started to discover that I was having a kind of Neil Donald Walsh-like experience of, I was writing and I could hear a voice speaking to me and I would write that down. It was like, oh my goodness, it's like something speaking to me and I'm writing that that voice, those words down. Mm-hmm. What I mean, so that was my first experience of knowing that there is an inner voice that we can yeah. listen to. But you know, 25 years later, I'm still working on listening more inside. I have days when I am still quite agitated and I have to make myself sit still. And I have to make myself just, yeah, don't run around. Don't go off on the bike cycling and then go to the river swimming and then, you know, doing a hundred million things just to avoid sitting still and listening to the noise in your head. Sit and listen to the noise in your head. Yeah. And sometimes is, I do go um, get out on the bike and then I come back and then I can be a bit more <laughs> still, you know, but yeah. Yeah, that's that can be so challenging. I I mean, I completely understand that personally. It just like also like when that frenetic energy starts moving through you and before yeah. you're conscious of it, your body's going, All right, let's go, let's get out of here, let's go out the door. Yeah. And it and it's signaling all the things before you even realize what's happening. Well, I mean, like that amazing book, Bess, um, Bessel van der Kirk's book, you know, the body keeps the score and it's constantly playing the music of that score. I mean, I don't, oh, you know, absolutely. but um, I learned one of the things that was a big relief for me was when I went through the Gene Keys, you know, it's, it's the Gene Keys exploration, which is ongoing. I'm less involved in it now. It's just like a background hum. But I learned things about myself which were quite validating and, and I stopped feeling so ashamed of how restless I could get. When I saw in black and white on my profile how much agitation features in my chart, oh, in my wow. personal chart, you know, it's just a part of who I, is so much agitation and unease. Mm-hmm. But I also most importantly learned how to step over the bridge, how to bridge, how to work with the agitation. What could I do? to work with that agitation because you know I don't know how much you know about the gene keys or how much your listeners might know but you have a shadow side to you and my shadow there's a lot of agitation but there's also a gift as well and for me it's when I take initiative or I listen to my intuition then I can I can awaken I can have breakthroughs or I start to get clarity you know I'm playing around with some of my gene keys right now but when I learned that it's not just about being a bad person. It's not about being a bad person and being restless and unable to sit still. It's, there is something in my energy, but there are ways of working with it. And that was immensely helpful for me. Yeah, yeah. You know what, we haven't actually specifically spoken to the topic. Um, As far as I know, and feel free to correct me, it's, it's, it's similar to human design, but more in depth. Are you familiar with human design as a system? Yes, I am familiar with human design. It's definitely based on human design. I know human design can be very, very in-depth as well. It's definitely based on a combination. Well, it's, you know, astrology, I Ching, and human design. So it's complex, but it's also beautifully simple. Oh, yeah. And, you know, if you ever listen to any of Richard Rudd, who who kind of channeled, really, the whole Gene Keys uh, methodology, Mm -hmm. do I call it, or philosophy, or... I don't know, even know what to, to, I know. to call it a science, but anyway, he yeah. channeled it. But mm-hmm. um, you know, he he also talks about the simplicity of it. And we could make it really complex, but it's actually quite intuitive because you just go, 
oh yeah I am I'm constantly agitated and restless but yeah this is what I do when I manage to do this it, I'm able to be with it mm -hmm. and you start joining dots mm -hmm. in a very intuitive way wow. as well but then there's this whole profile and methodology to help you understand you're joining the dots process you know oh it's fantastic do you use that now as you like do you pull on different aspects like this that you've learned yourself when you work with people yeah so you um, look at when I work no go ahead go ahead sorry I interrupt it's okay go ahead I don't do people's charts yeah no. I don't attempt to be a gene keys practitioner but yeah. uh, so did you mean in that way um, well, I, yeah, I don't know, like, where you look at things like I know, because some people when they do work with people, they'll be like, Oh, like, let me like, just take a glance at it, even if they're not an expert, like they might consider certain aspects of, of charts and whatnot, maybe not reading it in depth. But yeah, I was curious, like what aspects of these different modalities you pull in? Yeah, so when I'm working with people, uh, the modalities I pull on, if I can call them modalities, I draw on are my personal journey, mm -hmm. um, the academic research and, and studies, you know, the PhD in physiology and the uh, the postdoctoral research that I've done. I then use my professional experience of having, you know, the experience, what I've learned from having worked with literally thousands of people, you know, mm -hmm. in, in over two and a half decades, um, different types of people from corporate employees to uh, women recovering from breast cancer, mm -hmm. schools, children in schools, elderly people, all sorts, professional athletes, professional footballers, notably Chelsea Football Club. So I've worked with such a diverse range of human beings. So there's a lot of, of research, a lot of information has been gathered right. from having worked with them. And, um, and then I, you know, I really look at the physiology behind it as well. And I'm very practical, you know, I'm all about making things really, really practical and just reading each human being. But I don't attempt to do anything like human design or or the gene keys because I, I've got my own methodology mm. and I've got my own kind of synthesis of everything that I have been learning throughout my life. Mm -hmm. in the study of human beings and my curiosity and the, the life in the human laboratory I, uh, you know that's what yeah. I draw on when I do my work and the fact that a lot of people come to me in a, in for all sorts of reasons not just sleep but because they burnt out or mm -hmm. sometimes people come to see me and they say I'm not even really sure why I'm seeing you but my best friend said she knows your work I should come and see you I'm going through a terrible time at the moment Aww. and they don't even have a sleep problem and then we get working. Exactly. And but I what I do use is my understanding of myself. So I and the things that I have learned. So I I would tune in a little bit before I I work with people. Right. And I use my intuition as well as then you know. So it's a left brain and right brain approach. Yeah. Uh, I spend a lot of time talking to them, gathering information a little bit like a detective. Mm -hmm. And, and and then I'll say, right, this is what I think is going on. And sometimes, actually often, my work leads to them having, I don't work with people on a long-term basis. I very rarely see anyone for more than three sessions. And sometimes only just one session. Mm -hmm. And, but often it 
might require them going off on another journey. It might be, right, you need to go read this book or you need to do this coaching program or you need to speak to a therapist or you need to work with a somatic experiencing practitioner. Mm. Um, so it might involve them having to go down a, a, healing, a different kind of healing route to what I'm able to do with them. Or my work with them has resourced them to the point where they can now go deeper to do some, mm. some more trauma work because I've helped them to get more energy or sleep better and or sleep better. Oh, it's so it's yeah. so it's beautiful that you do that. Do you are there like commonalities that you, I, I mean, you talk about a very diverse group of people from from athletes to to mothers and, and all of this. Are there common struggles mm -hmm. that you're seeing amongst different groups or any threads that you see throughout your practice or over the years that you've noticed? Oh, a lot of people yeah. are struggling with this. And yeah. So to generalize with everyone that I've worked with over the years, what's a common theme? A common theme is a thing I've struggled with myself, which is uh, um, making unhelpful choices, you know? So helping people to see that they could make better choices. Um, also looking in the wrong places for the answers. So not looking within, not trusting themselves enough to go within. Um, staying stuck in in situations that they shouldn't be in so for example if somebody shows up to see me and they're not really not sleeping well and haven't been doing for a few years now and then we get working and and I might from from that those questions initial questions I ask I can tell they're really unhappy in the work that they're doing they lack the courage to to do something different but they don't have any energy to address the fact that they hate, they're hating what they're doing. And what is showing up is they're not sleeping well. Let me help them sleep better. Oh, because sometimes we make choices that are almost self-sabotaging. Yeah. So we don't really need to look at the thing that's really the problem. So they're not sleeping well. So I help them very practically. And I can tell you what those, I call them my five non-negotiables. I give them all sorts of tools, but often I'll start with these five things. Once I, if I've done an inventory with them and I've, I can see, hmm, they're not doing my five non-negotiables. So let's start with that. Mm -hmm. And then go, they go away 10 to 14 days, come back, tell me how you're feeling. Usually they're feeling a lot better. Mm -hmm. And then we can go a bit deeper. And sometimes that then takes us into more healing work, breathing, mm -hmm. um, meditation or whatever. But sometimes, you know, they're feeling so much better. They go, do you know what? Um, Oh, yes, I know we're meant to be talking about sleep. But I'm actually doing really well now. Mm. But what's come out of this is um, I think I need to leave my job oh. or I need to go talk to my manager about the work I'm doing. I just can't do it anymore. You know, so often there's the real work. Once mm. I get I get them to a point where the real work starts to it starts to show itself and it could be. It could be a trauma from childhood that needs to be addressed. It could be the relationship, the marriage. Mm -hmm. it could be the job right. you know but when we don't have resources when we don't when we're not sleeping well or when we're exhausted sometimes people are sleeping well but they're oversleeping and they're exhausted yeah. but when we're exhausted it it very uh, conveniently masks the real problem you know so I I think that's it I don't know if I've answered I hope I've answered your question um, you know, so much so that I'm just writing down that sentence because that was so powerful um, that you were when you're saying it conveniently masks the real problem yeah like I'm not sure you know or no I, I, I 
deeply believe actually that, you know, we don't have these issues come up in our bodies, whether it's sleep issues or anything that don't have a deeper root to them. Like our bodies are on purpose as far as I'm concerned and things are happening for a reason. And I mean, it must just be when you get to that point with people and you and people come, oh, okay, like here's the the thing that's come up that I can see now that I have space for now. That must feel like yes, it's another journey. Like you were saying, okay, here's the start to another path. But at the same time, there's so much like beauty in that as well, because there's like that's where like yeah. the deep healing can really begin and be impactful for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I mean I think human beings, I've seen so many human beings beings who are so resourceful so resilient that they're so courageous once they have the resource you know because we can only heal when we've got enough resources to heal and if we're running on empty and we're exhausted and we're just about trying to keep up with what we're doing it we can't address those deeper issues and traumas of life so yes it, it, it is quite gratifying when I when I see that you know and um you know sometimes people obviously we, we always have an exploratory call first of all to work, work out whether I'm the person who can help them whether they need to work with me whether you know whether there's a good fit and just a couple of weeks ago actually I worked with somebody and I said I honestly don't think I'm the person that you need to work with and this this happens you know yeah. I I think that you I think that you could you could probably benefit from doing some trauma work with the right trauma therapist. And then I put him in touch with someone to have an exploratory call with, because it might be that person, but it might not even be that they might be advised. And I know that person well enough to know that she will say, it's not me, but perhaps you might want to have a conversation with this person. And so I, I think it's, I'm not about, um, I'm gonna work with everyone. I think I can, I've got a one size fits all solution. Definitely not. Um, I I want human beings to have the opportunity to to find joy and delight and energy in their lives to live more fulfilling lives. Um, and if I can do that by helping them directly or referring them to someone else who can help, I I love being able to do that. You know, um, but I also do a lot of work. Most of my work actually is one to many. It's um, I mean I you you can't see me properly, but I'm very diminutive I'm small I'm five foot one and I weigh about oh. 50 kilos I'm small oh, um I, I used to have a coach who called me pocket rocket but oh. I'm I'm quite small but I'm quite uh fierce when I'm in when I'm speaking to big groups hmm. so often you know so next month I'm I'm going somewhere um abroad in Spain to to, to Monaco actually in France oh. to speak to um a very large group a whole organization and it will be a 20 minute keynote and I I like that kind of work because I think that even in 20 minutes, you can give people enough to kind of catalyze something happening. Probably not for everyone, but for a lot of people that you can catalyze a shift. And hopefully some of those people will go off and do something differently as a result. And I get messages from people years later who said, I came to that talk, that was over 15 years ago. I was working at the law firm at the time and I did that thing you said and my life is quite different now and it was wow. a tiny thing wow yeah those little things that make all the difference I actually wanted to pick up actually because you said you spoke earlier about like the you said people might not be doing the five non-negotiables that you yeah. speak of yeah. so can you actually share what those specifically are because 
as you yeah, just said, yeah. the little things are helpful. Yeah. Yeah, so and it was as a result of working in, in the earlier days, um, giving a talk on sleep at an investment bank to a group of um, traders, investment mm. bank traders. And back then, I, you know, being little as well, and at the beginning of my professional journey in terms of public speaking like that, didn't have the confidence to tell, to make these guys, to, to really ask for the conditions that were conducive to me doing a good job. So for example, put me on a stage, give me a microphone, don't have alcohol in the room. Don't do it at the end of the day when they will, you know, they would have had a drink or something. I mean, that was over 20 years ago. So things were done in a different way. Yeah. But now I, I tend to, when I go work with groups, big groups, I will either say, or my speaking agent will say, this is what she needs, you know. Um, and sometimes I'll say, I want to be sitting or I want to be on a stage. I need a microphone or I don't need a microphone. Hmm. Um, I want slides or I don't want to, you know, I can, I, I make it possible for me to do what I do in my most authentic way I, I don't I'm not afraid of asking anymore but back then with this group of traders didn't have the confidence there I was screaming at these 200 traders ah. many of whom were drunk trying to get them to listen to me and in the end I was so kind of at the end of my tether and I said you know what guys I'm just going to give you some quick wins and I'm going to get out of here I'm going to tell you five things that are going to profoundly change your relationship with sleep they are five non-negotiables and then I'm going to get the f out of here and I did swear and I said I don't care I've really had it with you I've had it and I'm going to say these things five non-negotiables that I'm getting out of here and that's where the five non-negotiables came from, because I then realized that if I said these five things to the people who are coming with sleep problems and if I checked are they doing these things often they weren't so here they are, five non-negotiables. Number one, eat breakfast within 30 to 45 minutes of rising every day. So if you're awake, if you're having difficulty, any sleep problems, difficulty getting to sleep, difficulty staying asleep, waking up exhausted, no matter how much sleep you're getting. So it's non-restorative sleep. Nuts. The five things are eat breakfast within 30 to 45 minutes of rising. Make sure it's nutrient rich. Make sure you've got protein, fat, carbohydrate in there. The protein's really important. It'll help you to make the melatonin to, to, so that you can sleep. It'll it'll help with the, the mood, serotonin, and all that sort of thing as well. Oh. So breakfast. Second one, don't use caffeine as a source of food. Cut back on caffeine. Um, ideally, if you've got real sleep problems, don't drink any caffeine. Mm -hmm. Ideally, if you are going to drink caffeine, no caffeine after three in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Ideally, no more than one or two. So we, talk, we have a conversation about caffeine. The third is a conversation about hydration and hydrating the brain, drinking about two liters of water a day. With some people, they're already doing that. So if, and if they're athletes, it might be more. If they're already drinking water, but they're still dehydrated, you can tell by asking more questions, then getting them to put electrolytes or something in the drink. Number four, cultivate, uh, cultivate a healthier bedtime routine. Go to bed earlier. Getting into bed around 9, 30, 10. You don't have to be fast asleep. But getting into bed earlier, reading a book, allowing yourself to wind down and switch off from the day. So ideally, you're getting that pre-midnight sleep, which sets you up for how you sleep during the night. But also you get some incredible um, the quality of nourishment that you're going to get in your first phase of sleep is really important. So getting to bed earlier. And the fifth is cultivating a healthier relationship with technology, with our devices getting the phone out of the room, not obsessively checking your phone during the night, not checking the time during the night. So this, these are the five things, you know, when, and then I can talk to them about other things like, 
you know, what is your bedtime routine and do you have blackout blinds and how do you breathe and meditation and all this kind of stuff. But we start with these five things. Let's see if we can. And so I worked with, and sometimes people come to me and they're doing all of those. So we are, we have to go deeper, but I saw somebody on Monday and um, she's in her forties. She's going through IVF treatment. She cannot get pregnant. She's going through hell at work, really stressed. And um, she's not doing any of those five things. And I said, look at that. This is great news because you're not doing some of the basics. So mm-hmm. once you start doing the basics, let's check in again in 10 days time. She's already messaged me. It's only Wednesday. I saw her on Monday. She said, "This lot, I'm already feeling different. I'm already feeling different. You know, she's only slept two nights since she's seen me. Oh my so, gosh. And some people do respond very quickly. Some people take a bit longer. Mm-hmm. And some people listen to this and they go, nope, can't do any of that. Mm. Uh, and we, we have to make a decision about, can I actually see them again? I don't think so. And sometimes when I'm working with addiction patients, mm. addiction, uh, pa- I don't often call them patients, but this is people with, with real addictions going on. And their sleep cycle is really messed up and they just might see them a few times, but really they're not able to change their routines. Mm -hmm. They're going to bed at three, four in the morning. You know, they're drinking heavily. They're living on caffeine. They cannot eat in the mornings. They cannot eat until the afternoon. And the things they just can't change. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't think we can work together, but I can recommend, you know, that you start looking at some therapy to get underneath the addictive patterns mm-hmm. and then maybe they'll come to a point where they can come back to me and we can we can work but sometimes there are people I can't work with that's that's not so often it's more rare wow yeah I bet of mm. course it, it has to play into things and and you want to be helpful and, and use your time as effectively as possible so that makes a lot of sense um I wanted to ask you though, because it's really um the first one that you said there with the breakfast. I actually feel like that's actually not mm. I feel like actually a lot of people don't do that actually. Um mm. there's so much talk about intermittent fasting and um I mean I feel like women, a lot of women are kind of coming to the education, let's say like for the hormones, it's maybe not the best, but then there's a lot of men that really thrive off of that and I'm curious like what does this apply to both genders and what do you say to like those that that do as you okay yeah it applies to the individual and yes there's a huge amount so I was going to say something about fasting as well and there's a huge amount about fasting uh, you know and there's a lot of benefits people fasting both men and women and um you know that even for women there are some benefits of fasting if you, even during perimenopause and menopause and postmenopause, mm-hmm. but you've got to listen deeply to what's going on in the body. And you've got to listen to your life as well. And how am I responding? So if somebody comes to me and they are not sleeping well, and they've got any issues going on, they're not sleeping, they're having difficulty getting sleep, staying asleep, waking up feeling exhausted, then fasting is not for them, male or female. And a lot of corporate employees, fasting is not for them because they are on a treadmill 
You know, they're a treadmill going 100 miles an hour and they wake up and from the minute they wake up, they're on that. They're in their inbox. Mm -hmm. They're working. And of course, a lot of people working from home literally now as well. But, you know, they so people are running at a speed. Now, if you're living the Ayurvedic lifestyle Mm -hmm. and you're waking up and you're meditating and then you do some gentle yoga, easing into the day, then maybe you can do a bit of intermittent fasting Mm -hmm. for a bit. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then bringing your eating time forward in the evening mm-hmm. so you have some time restricted feeding okay. but you've got to listen into your body you know yeah. and if you're a woman and you're in your menopause and you're sleeping really well and you've started fasting and everything is going well and you're not having any adverse effects then keep fasting mm-hmm. interesting so is it about um well, you did speak to the melatonin with the protein, which is very interesting. I, I didn't know about that. Is it also, I mean, it sort of sounds like it's a, it's about reducing stress on the body because even though fasting is a good stress, it is a stress sore. So yeah. it sounds like that. Fasting is a stress. Absolutely. Yeah. So I um, I go I go in and out of doing a bit of fasting. Okay. Yeah. Well, when I first started experimenting with fasting, I stopped going down to the river to swim in cold water so I dropped that because that was a stressor so mm-hmm. I thought I'm going to focus on the fasting and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to reduce some of the stresses on my body mm-hmm. like getting into the river training hard with weights mm-hmm. um exercising hard on my bike going climbing um or if I do do those things then I won't fast on that day so I kind of chopped around changed around and listened to my what happens when I do this what happens when I do that mm-hmm. let me listen to my body so um and then there are times when I absolutely would not contemplate fasting. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's a when there's a lot of demand, and it's not even necessarily, you know, that sometimes it calls for educating people about what is a stress, because mm-hmm. they might think, well, I love I'm loving what I'm doing. Well, I love what I'm doing, and I love standing in front of thousands of people talking. I love going on TV, mm-hmm. you know, even as an introvert. But it is a stress and it's a demand. And as long as I'm placing a physiological demand on my body, it's a stress inducing um, stimulus. It's it's inducing cortisol. Mm -hmm. So don't fast. So it calls Mm -hmm. for a great deal of listening and listening in deeply. And this is what a lot of people lack. They don't listen deeply and they don't listen to the whispers. They listen to the shouts. So they listen to the, oh, right. I keep getting sick when I go on holiday. But even so, they're not really listening. They just accept, oh, yeah, I get sick when I go on holiday. That's just what happens. They don't think, well, actually, do you think it's something to do with the way you're living your life when you're not on holiday? And that needs to change. Yeah. You know? So they listen to the breakdown or they listen to the heart attack. Mm-hmm. They listen to the big shocks, but they mm-hmm. don't listen to the whispers of the body going, well, actually, just you're needing a cup of coffee again. You're needing to drink more coffee. You're needing more sugary snacks. You're getting more irritable with the children. You're making more mistakes at work and your sleep actually is getting worse. So maybe the fasting is not working, you know? So I think the art of listening, and I think what everyone suffers from at the moment, probably including me sometimes as well. And you asked about this. What is that? Is there an overarching theme Mm -hmm. with everyone? Inability to, to pause, to slow down. Of course, not everyone, you know, you may, Maybe many of your listeners will have very contemplative lifestyles and lives. Um, and I try to, so that when people think I'm really busy, it's not because I'm back to back chock-a-block with meeting, 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 presentation, travel, blah, blah, blah. It's mm-hmm. not. It's because my rest is in my diary as well. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. You know, but I'm not going to necessarily say to my client, yeah, I'm sorry, I got I've got a whole afternoon off just because I need to rest. Mm. You know, I was even going to just say to you just now, I mean, I've got a whole hour in there because I thought, can I say a whole afternoon? Yes, I can say a whole afternoon. Or, or you know, can I say to your client, you know, I'm taking two days off. I just really need to, I've been to visit my mother in South America. I got back a week later. I'm still struggling with the emotional impact of that journey and the jet oh, lag. Yeah. I need to take, I need to take some time out. Yeah. You know, I can't yeah. stop crying in between meetings. I need to take time out, mm-hmm. you know, but we're not so good at pausing, slowing down, listening in. And even if we, you know, I did a TED talk, a TEDx called come to work and rest. Mm. where I'm inviting people every every 90 minutes to just stop for a few minutes, stop, pause, contemplate, listen, drink a cup of tea, savour the taste, go for a walk around the building, breathe, mm. hug someone, savour the sunshine, yeah. sit, don't listen, go out for a walk, don't take your phone, don't listen to a podcast. Mm-hmm. You can listen to this podcast, but, <laughs> but you know, we yeah. fill everything <laughs> Every yeah. second has to be productive. Well, maybe productivity is just walk slower, sit and just daydream. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's that's so beautiful. Yeah. My my coach said that to me at some point. My um my like business, but she's like very, she's like very holistic. And and I like arms started crying. I was like, oh my God, like nobody gives you that permission, you know. Um society at large doesn't send those messages like you're sharing like she shares of go like daydream and and I think part of it probably is like that that thing that you were speaking of like should I share that I need the afternoon that I need time between meetings or whatsoever it's almost like I think it's great that you did and I and I love that you did because I think not enough people do and then it creates this like echo chamber of of all of us feeling oh god like can I say that I'm like exactly exactly that like can I say that this afternoon and and it's like this all this like kind of like shamey stuff around taking rest and I think it all comes down to finding safety in ourselves in a safety to stop to ask to give ourselves permission and you know I started writing down these little notes to myself just saying I am allowed dot 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 I'm allowed to stop I'm allowed to sit and have a cup of tea I'm allowed to just breathe you know know? and I easy is allowed I also wrote that down easy is allowed because I went through a phase where all my friends were just grafting hard working really hard and I still have a bit of that going on and sometimes my friends the other day um three friends left me voice messages and I wake up in the morning and it's about half an hour or so sometimes before I switch my phone on mm. and um, I switch my phone on and these voice messages and I was really like for each one of them I thought are they on double speed on whatsapp you know you can speed up the voice the the, the speed of the message uh-huh. of the yeah. spoken message are they on double speed? No, they're on single speed because they were talking so fast. It's like, what's going on? And, you know, people are suffering from rushing syndrome. There's a lot of rushing mm-hmm. and busy syndrome. Well, that's been around for a long time, but also mm-hmm. this kind of rushing, rushing, rushing. I have to speed up. Let me speed up and leave you a message. Speed up and eat my lunch. Speed up and walk the dog. Speed up and, you know, and it's all so fast. 
And if you could just allow ourselves to, to stop and slow down a bit, just less, keep it simple, less, less of it. Yeah. Mm. Oh my gosh, you are so eloquent. Like I absolutely just like, it's not a shock at, at all that you do so much speaking because it's so soothing to listen to you and also interesting, educational, all in all in one. So you definitely found your calling. Not at all. Not at all a question there, but I just thank you like so much. I I um I just want to I guess leave everybody with like anything that if there's anything to you or any advice that you would share to someone who was in your position whatever's coming up for you now that you just want to share is like parting words for someone struggling with sleep or their energy or anything yeah I mean I it's gonna sound a little bit woo woo I love it go for it I love it But I think the key to, to it all, as I said, is safety, finding inner safety. And that's the fourth book. And, uh, you know, of all my books, that's my favorite. The, the first three were very, very much more focused on sleep. And they're great books. Um, and the fourth book also helps you sleep. But it's it's really they, the, the publishers allowed me to focus more on safety, inner safety and trauma. Um, but I think it comes down to self-love. And this is where it might sound a bit, oh God, that self-love thing. Well, what does it mean to love yourself? And I feel as if I'm constantly learning. What does it mean? And, and I think there was a there was a book that I bought years ago, which was called, I can't remember who wrote the book, When I Loved Myself Enough. I can't remember the name of the author. Beautiful book, which I bought for a few of my friends, When I Loved Myself Enough. And I think I'm I'm kind of revisiting that myself in my life, like because I think everything comes down to self-love. And when you say nobody gives us permission, well, maybe you're right, but I think that we have to give ourselves permission. And I also notice that there's something very magical that happens that when we do give ourselves permission, I am allowed, I'm allowed to have ease. I'm allowed to have grace. I'm allowed to have joy. I'm allowed to have energy and delight in my life. I'm allowed to be happy. While moment we have difficult moments, while things are less joyful or less energetic, or we're allowed all of it. But if we allow ourselves, I think that's an act of self-love, you know, because that's when we're giving ourselves permission. And I think if we love well, if we live well and we love well, we sleep well. And I often say to people, I often teach a little meditation, which I could I can just go through in 30 seconds now. Yeah. So if people are having difficulty sleeping, and my own 18-year-old daughter told me, Mom, the only thing that works is that weird exercise, that love, I love, I love you exercise. So if my 18-year-old, who's extremely cynical and skeptical of my work, if she can say that, I, I think, and it works for a lot of people. So I've I've taught this on national TV. Yeah. I teach it in a lot of my my keynote presentations as well, even in large key um, corporations, companies as well. So here, here's this exercise. And I think if we do this regularly. You so you start to soften, okay. So you're lying in bed, you're trying to get to sleep, or you're trying to get back to sleep. It's the early hours, and don't forget, this lady came on the North Star podcast and she said, "Don't look at the clock, don't look at your phone." So you got up, you went to the bathroom. Don't worry about it; that's normal. Come back, don't check the time, and you lie there in bed. Put one hand on your belly. Put one. Put one hand over your heart, rather. One on your heart, one on your belly. And feel the weight of your hands on your be- on your body. 
And if you're sitting, you won't feel it as strongly as if you were lying down. But imagine you're lying in bed and you put your hands there. You can feel the weight of your hands. Comforting. Now we're going to start this meditation. And all I need you to do is just listen to what I say and repeat the words to yourself softly and silently as I say them. Okay, so as I say them, softly, softly say them to yourself. So let's go. I love my left foot. I love my left big toe. I love my left little toe. I love all the toes of my left foot. I love my left ankle. I love my left lower leg. I love my left knee. I love my left upper leg. Now, if you can open your eyes and come back. So Mackenzie, I'm not gonna do the whole thing. In fact, the whole thing is available on Amazon Audible Perfect. as a recording. They, you know, I have uh, Amazon Audible commissioned me to do a, a number of meditations during the pandemic and there are 12 of them and that's one of them. But you don't need my voice guiding. You can do it for yourself. You make it up. You can do it as detailed as you like. You can do, I love my left chin and my left calf muscles and my left vastus medialis oblique muscle and my left patella tendon and whatever, you know? Yeah. Or you can, you can, and if you lose the, your train of thought, you go back to the starting point and you start again. Mm. But you literally say that and you end up at the top of your head and then you end up on your right foot. But most people don't because you forget. I mean, I was using it last night, actually, because I woke up. I don't think I ever got past my, I love my left foot. I kept saying I love my left foot and then falling asleep, <sighs> you know. Yeah. And um, you just, you literally love yourself to sleep and love is the most safety inducing word in the dictionary the more you use the word especially i love i love and i think this is what it's about it's um love yourself enough to to be who you are allow yourself to be who you are and i know it takes time and it's taken me decades but i i'm seeing more and more young people these days gen z's millennials who are not having to wait decades and who are saying, I really, I have to be authentic. I have to be who I am and are showing up being who they are. And so I think, you know, love yourself enough to be who you are. Use the word love, love yourself enough, give yourself permission. And you'd be amazed at the difference it starts to, it starts to bring about in your life. That exercise is profound. Not only does it help you sleep, but it does have other slightly woo-woo effects as well, the more you use it. Right. I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Oh my gosh. And so soothing. I, I think that your voice actually would be such a great addition just because you do. I mean, I'm sure people from North America say this too all the time, but you have such a beautiful, beautiful accent. So it's really nice to, to hear you move through it. Um, and just your own intonation as well. But yeah. Wow. Okay. So where do, where do people find you? Where are you found online? If um, Yes. Um, yeah. So even if you, uh, in fact, my daughter said this to me last week. She said, mom, do you know, even if you spell your, your name wrong and you just put Narina and Dr. Narina and sleep into the, into Google, you'll, they'll find you. But, you know, so it's, um, they, 
My website is drnarina.com, D-R-Narina. I'm sure it'll be in your show notes, yeah. um, probably. And the handle is at drnarina. There are books on Amazon. Uh, there are four books. And, um, you know, there's all the social media platforms. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, if people don't want to buy books and things like that, they, they can just Google my name and they'll find stuff. And there's lots of free stuff on the internet, you know. So they can keep in touch. Yeah. People can keep in touch. Join me on those platforms. And yeah, I'm very findable. You are. <laughs> you are. You're. That's what I like. I really don't often say to people, oh, I found you through an article. Like usually it's some some other more common way, but you really are all over. Um, and I think that's that's great. It's a testament to your work and it's uh, it's resonance with people. Thank you very much. And it's been, Mackenzie, an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Seriously, and, um, yeah, truly. So grateful. Thank you so much for joining us on the North Star Podcast. I am so grateful for your time and your presence. If you want to chime in on the conversation, you can send me a DM at Mac Bell Castro on Instagram. I mean it when I say that I'm really always happy to hear from you, be it with regards to your insights gleaned from this episode or with regard to your own unfolding journey at large. I do believe that we each have our own North Star and it's our duty to do the inner work to get to know ourselves so that we can live in harmony with our souls, carry out our calling and serve others with the gifts we have each been uniquely blessed with in this lifetime. Thank you again for joining us and I'll see you next time.